Welcome to Full Scope, a weekly medical podcast designed to teach, inspire, and encourage listeners to question everything they know. I'm your host, Bill Brandenburg. Today, we're going to talk about brain health. How do you keep that noodle working optimally? Well, the answers, of course, are very simple. Like most things regarding lifestyle, though, actually sticking to them and doing, to the, doing them can be quite difficult. Let me just hit you with the main ideas around what we're going to talk about today in how to keep your brain healthy. Number one, use your brain. By actively thinking and challenging your brain every day, you will stay sharp. Number two, exercise. Exercising regularly and vigorously is so important to mental health and brain health. Don't forget it. The truth of the matter is, if you are not exercising, it's going to be very difficult for you to have a healthy life. Number three, avoid harmful substances that prevent or decrease your ability to think and use your brain. Number four, eat healthy foods, namely vegetables and fruits. The nutrients in those foods and the fibers that keep your gut working will pay dividends for your mental health and they'll also support your microbiome which probably has a lot more to do with mental health than we realize. Number five, get adequate sleep. That can be different for everyone, and at some point we're going to need to do a dedicated podcast on sleep, but it is so important for your brain health. It gives your, time, it gives your brain time to rewire and reset, and without adequate sleep, the brain stops working. Number six, keep a positive attitude. People underestimate the importance of a positive attitude in both mental and physical health, and it simply cannot be understated. Number seven, protect your hearing, vision, and other senses. Hearing in particular has been strongly linked to the development of dementia, and we'll talk more about that later. And number eight, Engage with other people. We are social creatures. Interact with other intelligent, smart, hardworking people, and it'll pay dividends for years and years to come. Being around other people is therapeutic. We're not meant to be in isolation. I'm not saying you have to have a hundred friends, but at least have a few good ones. All right. Let's take a deep dive into some of these subjects and see if we can't shed some clarity on them and just provide a little bit more interesting information. First of all, what is dementia? What are we talking about? Well, dementia is a mental decline that cannot be explained by normal aging and affects the quality of people's lives. It can cause a, cause a number of different symptoms, namely memory impairment, problems with spatial orientation, emotional problems, decreased motivation, problems with speech, 
and a number of other cognitive difficulties. There's different types of dementia. The most common is Alzheimer's. The next most common is vascular, followed by a whole list of other types of dementias. To name a few, there's frontal temporal dementia, which I normally think about with people who are having hallucinations and behavioral issues and even psychosis that they never had in their life previously. And then a group of dementias related to Parkinson's, the movement disorder. We could talk so much more about those things, but I just wanted to highlight a couple types of dementia just to get people oriented and on the same page. But what we're really talking about in this podcast is number one, keeping your brain sharp, and number two, preventing dementia. What I will say is that our current pharmacological treatments available for dementia are abysmal. One are acetylcholinesterase inhibitors, medicines like donepazil, and a second line agent, uh, NMDA antagonists like memantine, either have a very marginal benefit, and some people believe don't work at all. There are some people doing things regarding lifestyle and showing some success in reversing dementia, but honestly the results are not good anywhere. And so like most things in health, the best thing to do is to prevent it. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. The other thing to say about dementia is that the experts in the field can't even really agree on the mechanism. We don't really understand dementia. We know some things, but so much remains undiscovered. There are pharmaceutical companies right now that are betting a billion dollars on one mechanism, and there's other pharmaceutical companies betting that same amount of money against it. So it's going to be really interesting to see how the cards fall, but what I can tell you is that as we have an increasingly older population, and as we stop using our brains on a epidemic level, we are going to see increasing and likely even epidemic numbers of dementia. So let's keep that brain healthy. All right. The reason I'm talking about this stuff right now is because I think it is just so relevant. As you guys know, I take care of sick patients in the hospital. But at one of the rural hospitals I work in, I also take care of a, a nursing home. I cover a, a group of patients in long-term care. And what I will say is that every long-term care resident in our country right now is essentially locked up. I am tested for COVID once a week to be allowed to work in them. All of the residents are really not allowed to have any visitors. They're not allowed to leave. And in some cases, they're, they're even pro prohibited from intermingling with other residents. What I've seen is an amazing decline in mental function over a very small period of time. People with dementia have had 
a decline in their their mental ability and even people that formerly won't di weren't diagnosed with dementia are now showing symptoms of it when patients finally get admitted to the hospital from long-term care homes usually their families get to see them because a lot of the hospitals they work at allow one visitor and what they tell me is that they're amazed at the decline they've seen in their relatives cognitive function this is one of those secondary effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. It's unfortunate. Being locked up is not the decision of these residents. And I really think we need to, to make it their decision because this is harming them in other ways. Granted, I know that half the people dying from COVID are care home residents. But in many ways, you could argue that they're not actually living right now. And they've got very few years left to live. Every good doctor knows that there are worse things than dying. Okay, getting back to point number one. Using your brain will make you smarter and prevent dementia. I have to tell you guys that as far as the literature goes, the medical literature, there is a paucity, very few studies on this subject. I was amazed. But I will tell you, it's one of those things that we all observe. We see people that don't use their brains get dumber. I'm watching people in care homes right now that simply sit there and watch TV all day get dumber. We've all heard about the individual that retired from their job, went home, maybe didn't do a lot of stuff, maybe didn't have a lot of purpose, and then all of a sudden developed dementia or their mind started to slip. This happens, people. The brain is like the brain is like the body. If you don't use it, you lose it. Think about the last time you went on a trip and then you came home and had to start work again. How tough was that first day? And sure some of it is because you're behind, you don't know what went on the last week. But even the processes can be can be more difficult. And so I think this is real. And I don't know that this is something I need a randomized controlled trial to tell me because this is just one of those things in life that maybe just common sense can show and we don't need some robust study to show us this. I don't know. I'd love to hear what more people think about that. I have heard people that are supposedly experts say things and write things like intelligence is fixed we're born with certain genes and that's what we get and that's how smart we can be. My advice to you is to take that mentality and throw it in the trash. The first prerequisite to improving your intelligence is believing that it's possible. And studies show this. Those people who believe that their intelligence is not fixed and that they can work hard and get smarter and do better do much better academically. And this is so important, especially for groups of people that maybe don't have access to schooling early in life, that maybe have been told that they're not smart, that they can't do anything. You know what? You can do anything you set your mind to. You can get smarter. Your brain can grow, adapt, rewire, and do amazing things. And it starts with believing that it's possible. When I was in first grade, I couldn't read. Everyone else in my class could. One time I had to stand up and try to read in front of everybody, and I just couldn't.
It was so embarrassing. I remember I remember looking at the words and just not knowing what they said. I was diagnosed with a learning disability. I had to go to special schools, get special tutor. After several years, I learned to read. But by no means as a young person was I considered very intelligent. Sure, I was good at math and science, but my English skills were not great. But you know what? I was curious. I wanted to learn. I wanted to get better. People gave me the tools to learn to read. I lapped them up. And now, I read more than most people. And I like to think that I'm doing amazing things with my life. So, don't let people get you down. Don't let anyone tell you you can't get smarter, that you can't achieve things academically. You can do whatever you want. Period. In fact, this carries, carries through to the rest of life. Not even just education or intelligence. People who believe they can do something so often are able to do it. And people that aren't almost never succeed. I played a lot of basketball in high school, in grade school, in college, and I was around a lot of people that got to go into the pros, both basketball and football. And I will tell you that all of those people had the mentality. They believed long before they made it that it was possible. And believing it's possible and having that confidence is just indescribably important in life. Believe in yourself. Okay, the next point. Exercise. Remember, the body and the mind are one. They can't be separated. It has actually been well studied, much more studied than using your brain and thinking, that vigorous exercise improves brain function and prevents dementia. A sedentary lifestyle causes things like brain fog and just frankly increases your chances of developing dementia. Exercising increases, increases blood flow to the brain, improves plasticity between neurons. Neurons are brain cells. Plasticity is when neurons have the ability to rewire, meaning they have these projections uh, they're called dendrites, and they basically move and connect to different neurons or brain cells. And as they move and reconnect to different things, you form new thought patterns, and we call that plasticity. That's your ability to change, to adapt, to learn new things, to accept new ideas. Plasticity is important in exercise helps. It improves neurogenesis, meaning the, the growth and development of brain cells. Most people think about brain cells as kind of a fixed cell group. They're not something that is very frequently dividing. And, and, and for a long time, I think people thought that after you got to adulthood, they really weren't at all. But I don't think that's true. I think they're not dividing and growing as much as the gut. But certainly, they can, they're more plastic. They can change more than we give them credit for. They also improve the regulation of neurotransmitters, things like serotonin, dopamine, that are so important to our mental health and brain health. Never underestimate the power of exercise for brain, body, and mental health. Something that often comes along with the sedentary lifestyle is watching television. If you want to improve your health today, take your television out of your bedroom. 
Step one, take it out of your kids' bedrooms. Step two, maybe even consider only turning it on for that important sports game or that movie you want to watch. Because watching television is harmful to our health. There was an Australian study that looked at watching television. It showed that people who, who watched for six hours or more a day lived on average five years less than people who don't watch television. That decrease in lifespan was about the same as people who use tobacco daily. In that sense, watching television can shorten your life just as much as smoking tobacco daily. That is crazy, people. And on top of that, as, as any physician knows, the last 10 to 20 years of life for somebody who's using tobacco is not a pleasant time. They are sick. They are having problems. Breathing is difficult. They have heart issues, heart disease. Same thing happens to sedentary people. Television is harmful. Sitting there watching it hours and hours a day is a bad thing. Kids that are getting ridiculous amounts of screen time instead of playing outside and using their brains, it's a bad thing, people. That's kind of a side, but I wanted to mention it. Let's move on to diet. And I know we just did a whole podcast on diet, so I won't get into this too much. But eating healthy fruits and vegetables and keeping your gut working is important. Pooping helps us get rid of so many toxins, so many bad things in our bodies. If you're not eating fiber and your gut's backed up, you're going to back up on toxins. And they're going to affect your ability to think and your health. On top of that, the nutrients and vitamins, minerals, and fruits and vegetables are essential for health, essential for a healthy lifestyle. The reality is is that we really have two brains in our body. One is in our heads, and the other is in our guts. There are so many neurotransmitters in our guts. They talk to each other like the brain does. This is evidenced by the fact that you can have a complete spinal cord severance, meaning you cut your spinal cord completely through. You'll lose motor function in your arms and legs and rest of your body. However, your gut will still work. It still has nerves. It still can keep uh, peristalsing, meaning pushing food the right direction through your body. You've got to support that second brain. And it's not just food that we use to support it. It's also trillions and trillions of tiny little friends. We call these tiny little friends our microbiome. And our skin, urinary tracts, uh, women's vaginal tracts, our gastrointestinal tracts, from mouth to anus, are literally covered with these microorganisms. Many of these guys are our friends. We have a mutualistic relationship with them. That means we have this shared life with them and we each benefit from this relationship. That's in opposition to just a symbiotic relationship. Symbiotic just means shared life. And you can have a symbiotic relationship with a hookworm. Might be good for the hookworm, but not good for you. 
So I think using the term mutualistic when we talk about our good good bugs and good friends is the uh, the proper way to talk about this. But we are covered with bacteria, fungi, viruses, and even even single-celled parasites that are good for us. The easiest way to think about it is that they take up real estate on our skin, our guts, our body, and they make it so bad bugs don't have a place to go, don't have a place to stick. Think about a neighborhood filled with people. If those people are in their houses day after day, you're going to have a happy, healthy neighborhood. However, if all of a sudden half the houses become abandoned, you're going to have gypsies and squatters and other people move in, and that might not be so good. These bugs not only take up real estate, but they also help educate our immune systems. They teach us how to fight against disease. In, in many cases, they make vitamins for us. There's many essential vitamins that humans can't make. In fact, that's how an essential vitamin is defined, that humans don't have the biochemical pathways to make it intrinsically in our own cells. However, many of our, our bacteria can make that stuff for us. Things like vitamin K are made by the gut. This is important stuff, guys. They also make our skin and our guts work better and look better. The best way to support, support these little guys is to eat healthy, good food, live a healthy lifestyle. It's this circle of healthiness, guys. I feel like a broken record sometimes on this podcast, and I promise I'm going to get into more specific topics. But this stuff is just so important. It's the foundation of health, and it's what we're all missing right now. Let me hit you some stat with some stats on the microbiome. Some estimates say that for every human cell we have in our body, we have 10 bacterial cells on our body. Now, I've heard people debate this, say maybe it's more like one-to-one, -one, but either way, we've got a lot of friends with us. We've got just as many bacterial cells as human cells on us, if not more. Moreover, our microbiota contains 100 to 200 times the amount of genetic material. So the amount of genes in our microbiome are way more than the genes contained in our 46 human chromosomes mind-boggling. We are just scratching the surface of understanding our mutualistic partners. They're so important to our health, to our mental health. It's been so interesting to watch the last 10 years to hear more about this stuff. As you might imagine, when you think about these guys, you can quickly understand that maybe antibiotics aren't as benign as we think they are. That just wiping out entire populations of your gut microbiome might not be so good in some instances. So think about that. It's not just antibiotic resistance. It's also overall health. The next thing I want to talk about is mental health problems. These are everywhere in our society right now. At baseline, most of us are stressed. But many people have real mental health issues. I'm not just talking about feeling down a little bit sometimes. I'm not just talking about feeling stressed or anxious. Everybody has that. That's a normal part of life. But there are so many people in our society with true mental illnesses that require things like mental health therapy, oftentimes even medications. In true mental illness, like bipolar disease and schizophrenia, 
Pharmacological therapies have changed people's lives. I know I've been just tearing pharmaceuticals apart left and right, but they certainly have done some amazing things, and you definitely can't throw them out the door in all instances. Like I said, I'm a medical doctor. I use medications all the time, though you might not think so if you listen to these first several podcasts. But mental health problems can affect mental clarity, affect how well the brain works, and predispose people to dementia in profound ways. An easy example of how mental health can affect the brain is the mania that we often see in bipolar type 1. This is when people fully lose control and they become just very energetic, make very bad decisions, become more sexually promiscuous, have ideas of grandeur and and many other symptoms. The high can be good. People can like to especially be hypomanic. But once they get into mania, they can do bad things, ruin their life. And moreover, when they get finished, it can leave their brains decimated. That's why preventing mania can be so important. But it's not just these profound mental illnesses like bipolar uh, type 1. Even just major depression can have a big influence on mental health and clarity. Because when you're depressed, one of the main symptoms is you lack interest in things. You don't want to learn new things. You don't want to use your brain. You don't want to get up and exercise. And so all of those things can lead to problems with with brain health. And so treating those mental health diseases can be so important. And people need to remember that. All right. I think one of the biggest things related to healthy lifestyle and brain health is having positive social relationships, engaging with others, and the community. People are so lonely right now. Reach out. Do something nice for somebody else, and you'll make a friend. And that friend will give you back so much more than you ever gave in the first place. The people who live the longest, the blue zones that I mentioned last podcast, Okinawa, Japan, these communities in Greece and Italy, some in Southern California, they are active in their communities. They are engaging with each other. They are, they are talking. They are getting together, having intellectual conversations. People everywhere need to do that. We are social beings. Being around other smart, good, and hardworking people pays dividends for our health. Get out there. Meet people. Talk to people help people, it is so important. Along with that is, of course, purpose. Having a purpose in life gives you something to live for, drives us, motivates us. Live for something, stand for something, be about something. It'll pay off for your brain. It'll pay off for your health. It'll pay off for the planet. And through helping the planet and helping others, you'll be happier. Through being happier, you'll have a better brain. This is a cycle of wellness, guys. You've got to get into the cycle. And you've got to get on board. Our society is sick right now. We need people on board with this stuff.
just as important as what we do to promote mental health is what we do to discourage it. And the biggest way that we can negatively impact our bodies and our brains is by the use of drugs that impair our ability to think and exercise and engage with others. I have a general principle. Any drug that affects your ability to think and decreases your motivation is going to predispose you to being stupid and predispose you to getting dementia. This of course includes most illicit street drugs, tobacco, excessive alcohol use, illicit substances, but also prescriptions, opiates. People who take hydrocodone and oxycodone every day are notorious for just rotting their brains. They just sit there and they get stupider and stupider every day. Benzodiazepines, Ativan, they do the same thing. These are not good. They're not things that should be taken every day. On top of that, a lot of drugs like tobacco, methamphetamine, cocaine, they affect our cardiovascular health. The second most common cause of dementia is vascular dementia. And that's caused by these little microvascular changes in our brain. You can think of it like little mini baby strokes all over the brain. And so any drug that affects your cardiovascular health is going to do bad for you. It's going to cause that vascular dementia. Stay away from that stuff. Avoid harmful substances. Do not use narcotics chronically. That's not what they're for. Along with the opioid epidemic, we're going to see a worsening of our dementia epidemic and problems. Now, I will say that using substances on occasion to facilitate socialization and wellness, like, say, getting together with your friends and having a few glasses of wine and having rich conversations and dancing and enjoying yourself, that's good stuff. I'm not saying get rid of that. I'm just saying substances need to be used in moderation, and we need to realize that their chronic everyday use is going to affect our ability to be smart if they're affecting our ability to use our brain. Any drug that makes it so you can't think, if used every day, will negatively affect your brain health. That is a general principle. Carry that with you everywhere. Physicians, think about that every time you put someone on a neurotropic drug and ask yourself, is it worth it? The next important thing is to avoid things that could damage your senses, your eyes, ears, even your sense of touch and smell, but most importantly, your eyes and ears, and namely your ears. We have found a profound connection between hearing loss and the development of dementia, and it makes sense. If you can't hear what's going on around you, you can't learn. When you don't learn, you become predisposed to dementia. People who can't hear are sitting there in a conversation, straining to hear what's going on at all times, rather than easily taking the information in and then synthesizing new thoughts and new discussion points. They are struggling to keep up. It's not a good thing. Things like loud headphones, loud con uh, concerts, and occupational exposures can lead to hearing loss. In fact, 24% of hearing loss in the U.S. is caused by occupational exposures, according to the CDC, and I bet it's even more. And that's really unacceptable. We should not, people should not be losing their hearing at work. 
I see this all the time. I walk by job sites. I, I cover my ears because the machine they're using is so loud that it's hurting me from the sidewalk. And then I look over at them and they're not wearing hearing protection. And I cringe. Gosh, those ears are important. I see a 25-year-old guy out there working construction, not protecting his ears. That makes me pretty sad. Protect those ears, people. You need them. They will pay dividends for you for the rest of your life. And finally, people, sleep. Get enough sleep every day. Eight hours is usually the benchmark, but everybody's different. Some people get by with five. Some people need ten. It just depends on who you are and what you need. I will say that, that sleep is also not a fixed variable. It's not static. Babies need a lot of sleep. You know, 16 hours plus a day. Teenagers continue to need a lot of sleep. We get mad at them. Why are you sleeping 12 hours? Because their brain is growing and learning as they sleep. Adults, probably more like that 8-hour range. 7, 8 hours, maybe 9. Older folks sleep less. It's harder for them to sleep, but yet so important. Pretty soon, like I said, we're going to need to get a whole podcast on sleep, maybe a couple, because good sleep is so important and sleep science is just so interesting. If you've got something like obstructive sleep apnea and you can't breathe when you sleep and you wake up constantly, you better believe it is going to affect your brain in negative ways. Okay. Let's recap, guys. Simply put, use your brain. Exercise your body. Put good food inside your body. Stay positive and engage with other people. And sleep, of course. Avoid harmful substances which make it so we cannot think. The daily or regular use of those substances will affect your ability to, to learn and your brain health. Importantly, our intelligence is not fixed. We have dynamic brains that can change, grow, and learn. Remember this and believe this. You can do whatever you want. Don't let anyone tell you you're too dumb to go to college, you're too dumb to get a PhD, you're too dumb to write a book. Prove them wrong. Nobody should ever say that to somebody else. Education is so important. It's important for young people. It's important for old people. The biggest loss of the COVID-19 pandemic will be all the time that our kids spent outside of the school. The fact that we have strip clubs, casinos, bars, nightclubs open right now, but our schools are shut in some areas is deplorable. It's awful. My grandma Lurie, who I respected and loved so much, had a saying. She would say that education is something you always carry with you. Moreover, it is immediately apparent to anyone you interact with. To her, education was never a bad investment, and it was something that you should continue to do for your entire life. She lived to 101 year, years old. She attributed her long, her her advanced or her, her long age, to her positive attitude. 
I think it's amazing. She went to Europe for the first time at age 50 and then went 50 more times before she died. What a life after 50. What a constant positive stimulation for your brain. And I'll tell you, Grandma Larry loved cocktails. So, you know, take everything I say with a grain of, grain of salt. Not that she was an alcoholic, but, you know, if we were traveling, we were having a cocktail hour. No questions asked. I was privileged to join her on her last two trips to Europe. Grandma Larry has left me with one thing, and I am trying to live by this every day, and that is to never stop learning. Never stop learning, people. Use your brain all the time. It will pay you dividends for the rest of your life. I really appreciate everyone listening to this. Take care of your brains. Take care of your bodies. You're going to need them for many, many years. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Full Scope Podcast. You can find a lecture summary, key points, and any references on our website, fullscope.org. Additionally, this is the official podcast of Wonder Medicine PLLC, a for-profit medical clinic located in Boise, Idaho. As Carly and I own the clinic and draw revenue from it, we thought we should uh, disclose it as a conflict of interest. Disclaimer alert! It's a trap! The Full Scope podcast was designed and created for educational purposes only. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or provide clinical knowledge specific to the care of any actual patient or population of patients. If you are in need of medical advice or treatment, contact a physician. The views and opinions portrayed on Full Scope are Dr. Brandenburg's. They do not represent the views or opinions of Wander Medicine Clinic, any of the academic institutions mentioned on the Full Scope podcast or website, or any of the hospitals which Dr. Brandenburg has or currently works at.